If you were to meet Josh Brewer today, you would meet an inspiration. He's a confident, dynamic young man who's living a successful life. He has a beautiful wife and four amazing children. But you would never guess how many years of chaos and abuse preceded the life he has now. That was really the extent, honestly, of the early childhood memories that go back. It was really um, just bathed in anxiety and don't mess up and, you know, good behavior. Josh didn't understand the value he had as a human being, much less as a defenseless child. Because there weren't any adults in his life who cared for him or protected him, he had to fend for himself. Getting creative and making, you know, butter sandwiches or sugar sandwiches. I'd never really known what it was like to sit at a dinner table and have dinner. Josh used to watch TV shows in which dads would come home from work and all the children would happily run and greet him, excited to see them. This was not the case in Josh's home. It was actually just the opposite. Nothing in his home looked the way things did on TV. Josh had to overcome a lot in order to be the person he is today. As a child, he had no sense of stability. He tried his best to survive in an abusive home and then even had that home taken away from him. And along his journey, he met countless young children who lived the same way. He began to question whether the things on TV were really normal or not. Welcome to Kavah. Welcome back to Kavah the Podcast. I'm Kelly Archibald, and I want to thank you for tuning in. We live in a crazy world, so we made this podcast to shine some hope into your life. Our guests have lived through some incredible things, both good and bad, and they want to share their stories with you. Listeners like you make this podcast possible. If you've been inspired or encouraged by these stories, please consider supporting us on Patreon or contacting us about sponsorship opportunities. You can find more information about us at kavahpodcast.com. That's Q-A-V-A-H podcast.com. I'm here with Josh Brewer. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. So, Josh, um, tell me, what is your first memory? So, uh, man, first memory. I can go back to, uh, so a lot of the memories, as I'll get into to my story, a lot of the memories have been things that, that really I've tried to block out. And yes. so there are some of the, as with trauma has a way to do that, to help you kind of survive. But when I can think of the first memory, um, I've got probably literally two hands worth of memories up to about 10 years old. So um, one of them would be, uh, I remember, uh, and I guess I would put some context. So there was one of uh, one of six kids growing okay. up. And we grew up in a very broken home, lots of abuse. And I would remember, I would recall that every time my dad would get off at work at 5 p.m. and... Um, and just remember the anxiety in, in the room because dad was coming home. And if something was done wrong or not done right, you know, we would have uh, that fear of, hey, hide the belt. So I remember I don't put the belt behind the couch or you would, you know, make sure that bases were covered so that when something was found out, because typically it was it was a daily thing, that we would eliminate the, you know, the, the weapons of mass destruction. And so... Um, 
you know, I recall moments like that. Just that was a regular memory. So it was, it was, I don't know how routine it was, but I do remember there were tasks that we would do, like taking a butter knife and scraping the baseboards to clean. It was really a dirty house. We had, I can't remember, two or three bedrooms and six of us kids in there with, with my mom and dad. And so when you think of some of the, some of those, that was kind of like a regular thing. It wasn't a recurring, or wasn't an individual thing. It was a recurring memory. And so really just grew up in that sort of broken environment. Uh, it was always uh, abusive verbally, mentally, physically. And that was kind of what categorized, you know, that those early childhood memories um, that it was, hey, don't mess up or else. Yeah. So that's kind of when you think of memories, I, I do think there was probably one or two memories that I would have that would be considered maybe a highlight. I remember one time, um, you know, we were born, I was born in Texas. We moved to Oklahoma, New Mexico, California, on up to Washington wow. State, where I spent a lot of my childhood, early childhood. And it's cold there, you know winters are rough and and I remember I was about six or seven years old and my dad uh, fashioned together a sled that had some sort of steering wheel device he, he had compiled it together built it together and uh, I remember it because I was going down a hill and I ran into a uh, metal fence post oh. and hit my head and uh, about knocked me out so but it was a fun time that was, that, that was a highlight so that uh, that was really the extent, honestly, of the early childhood memories that go back. It was really um, just bathed in anxiety and yeah. don't mess up and, right. you know, good behavior. And so that's kind of what formed those those first memories. So what number were you in, in birth order? So I had an older half-sister and then uh, older brother, older brother, then me. So number four, okay. uh, then younger sister, younger brother. Oh, wow. That's a busy household. Yeah. And so was your mom at home? Yeah. So she, both of them had worked. Um, and once again, the, the dynamics, even between the two of them, like I would remember uh, moments where uh, he would be hitting her or throwing her against the wall. And uh, so the, the dysfunction between them certainly bled in uh, to the relationship with us. And so um, she had worked different in, in, in and out jobs, different odd jobs, uh, you know, at the cashier at the gas station or whatever. And he worked in retail at times. Um, and so for that, you know, it was one of those things where, uh, there was just no stability yeah. in that. And so the interaction in between them, even with us, us six kids, um, you know, just the, once again, prior to really the, my life is broken down into different sections, mm -hmm. really one to eight eight to 16 and then, okay. you know, adults. So really just referencing it from one to, to eight, that's where a lot of those memories right. really took place. And so, um, even to the point to where, you know, uh, when I was about eight years old is when actually my dad went to prison and up until that point, I, I just remember, uh, a lot of, um, a lot of physical abuse as kids, you know, getting physically abused. There was emotional abuse, verbal abuse, sexual abuse. There was just, in any other way you could imagine, uh, it was just a very traumatic place to be. Uh, you couple that with uh, extreme poverty and not knowing what you're going to eat, when were you going right. to eat, um, getting creative and making, you know, butter sandwiches or yes. sugar sandwiches. And, and so that's how we kind of grew up, but that was normal. Right. Um, even as, you know, in third or fourth grade, I remember uh, having a meeting with our teacher and, and my mom had went up to their, uh, to the parent teacher meeting and they asked me, they said, Hey, go over there and, and play with the computer. And I, and I go to the computer and, 
and it wasn't on. So I come back and she says, oh, you got to move the mouse. Well, I never didn't know what a mouse was. We didn't, right. you know, and uh, she showed me and I was got on the computer and I remember hearing the conversation and the point that she wanted to bring up and meet with my mom on was the fact that I always had stinky clothes and dirty clothes. And uh, that just was one of those things that marked yeah. me because I didn't put two and two together till you know I got older. But I remember we would always we didn't have dressers; it was just a pile of clothes, and you'd go in and you you know put your clothes on. And so that's really kind of what marked that that early childhood. Mm, I'm sorry, yeah. I um I understand. Um, so did you know why your dad went to prison? Like like did they come and say you're like you go he did he go through a trial and. Yeah, um, there was there was a process. I, I distinctly remember, aside from in the home memories, the the probably the greatest memory was the moment where they lined us up into the uh, child protective services CPS, and we were in the room. And I remember looking around; all of us kids were in there, and you had that that kind of two way glass where it looked like a mirror, but they could see through it. And I remember the uh, caseworker on the other side. And didn't really know in totality at that time what was going on. All we knew is that he made some mistakes and, and the casework came out. I remember them saying that here's, here's what's next. Uh, all of you kids are basically going into foster care. And I remember sitting in that as they, I didn't really know what foster care was, but they had said that uh, we were going to be going into different homes. And uh, I remember looking up and, and, I, and I looked around at, at my brothers and, and my sisters. And uh, I remember I was the first one who just started crying. And uh, I didn't know, but I knew that, I didn't know what was going on, but I knew that, hey, that something's about to get separated. And and it's weird because on one hand, that was actually like almost a moment of salvation, like that chaos yes. and the hurt and the yes. pain and the trauma, but that's all I knew. So right. it, what was being taken away was that which was familiar. Right. And so there was almost this comfort in, in, in the dysfunction, comfort right. in the trauma yes. because it's known. Um, so that was that moment, uh, you know, at that point, where even though I didn't see the full picture of what caused it, the full picture of the reality, what the new right. the, the new normal would be, was really laid out. Were you bonded with your siblings? Yeah, I think um, it was a unique relationship because oftentimes pain and trauma really draws people together. Right. So it's like um, we were both in this together. It was it was right. I would liken it to somebody going out you know, into the military and go into war with somebody. And all of a sudden you've got your war buddy. Yes. Like that's what it was that, that we had that commonality. And, uh, with all of my siblings, everyone, I mean, there's six of us, it's a whole, whole clan, right. but, uh, you know, there was this camaraderie and this, uh, comfort in that and uh, relationally for sure. But, um, more than just the being the siblings, right. the fact that we're going through something right. together that we, we knew and understood, and even if somebody on the outside that was looking in couldn't see, like we 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 had that together, yeah. you know. So there was that that comfort in that. Did they separate you? They did. They um, they actually initially put my oldest sister in uh, foster care by herself, and then the next two older brothers in one, and then initially me with the younger two, and really for the next eight years we were in and out of foster care. And so those changed from, from time to time. Me and my next older brother would be in one. My older brother would be in a different one. And the two younger really stayed together for the most part. But it was a uh, process where basically, as you can imagine, when, when my dad went to prison, aside from the trauma that my mom had to go through, uh, 
just the reality of losing everything in that moment had nowhere to turn. So she turned to alcohol and, and drugs and just trying to feel the hopelessness as yes. any person would really do in that, in that moment. And she would be through this season of trying to numb the pain and then obviously realizing that was reinforcing. And then she'd get out and she'd get off of that and clean herself up. And then we'd be out of foster care and we'd be in her okay. custody. Okay. And so that was a perpetual process. So when we were out of foster care, we were in homeless shelters and, um, you know, motels, hotels. She would be, she would have this almost perpetual process of being drawn to guys that were like that, that were abusive, that were, it's almost as if she didn't understand her value and her worth and, and the same sort of comfort thing that we were looking for. She, she found in that in a weird sadistic way, there was like, okay, this is what I'm, what I know. And so was with a, several other guys over the years and they were abusive as well. So we'd be in battered women's shelters. And so this perpetual process in and out went across over several states and over the eight years. And so that was certainly the instability of that uh, really caused uh, in all of us, I think, just, you know, not just the siblings, but even my mom, uh, this sense of um, adaptation to being okay in the ambiguous, being okay with change, being okay with like almost embracing where most people are looking for stability. It was almost like, oh, this is normal. So what would cause that from a, an emotional, psychological standpoint is that there was an apprehension to get rooted. There was an apprehension to trust people because it's okay. I'm, I'm one, one day away, one week away, one year away from having to be uprooted and moved. So it really just caused a lot of emotional burden. Even when you get beyond the the, the immediate trauma, just the, the, the residue of that, you know, carries on for sure. So at eight, your father went to prison. And so then your mother had addiction issues. Mm -hmm. And so from eight to 16, um, you're in foster care and moving around and moving around. In many abusive circumstances, you can't recognize the abuse until you're outside of it. Unfortunately, Josh was only about to enter more chaos and confusion once he entered the foster system. The next eight years would be a struggle to stay afloat as he moved from childhood to adolescence. But when Josh turned 14, a light finally broke into his dark life. He was introduced to a hope he'd never experienced, and he began to dream of a life of sharing that hope with others. Join us next time for episode two of Josh's story. Thanks again for listening to Kava the podcast. It's our joy to share these stories of hope in a confusing world. To keep up with our guests and adventures and podcasting, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We would also love it if you gave us a review on whatever podcasting platform you use. It helps us continue to share hope around the world. We are so grateful for our listeners who financially support Kava the podcast. If you would like to become a supporter, please consider donating via Patreon or contacting us about sponsorship opportunities. You can find more information at kavapodcast.com. That's Q-A-V-A-H podcast.com. I would like to thank my head writer, Rebecca Gray, and audio engineer, Meredith Douglas. I could not do this without you. You make this happen, and I can't express my gratitude. Maybe you've been listening because you've found yourself in a desperate place. We want you to know that all is not lost. 
It is our desire that you would be able to borrow hope from those who've gone before you, those who've waited to find a positive outcome. Please be sure and connect with us via our website or social media. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other.